episode 155 of Eventually Super Train. Hello everyone, I am your host, Dan, your main host. Covers short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually we will, we will, we will, we will cover Super Train. In this episode we begin with the ninth episode of Galactica 1980, then the third episode of Monster Squad, and then the first episode of It'll be fun. You're gonna love it. First off, we dive on in. Mr. Christopher Bly and myself are discussing a little Galactica 1980. Here is the theme. Galactica 1980, Episode 9, Space Croppers, written by Robert L. McCullough, directed by Daniel Haller, April 27th, 1980. In this one, uh, due to some trouble with the Cylons, the uh, the gang from the Galactica, Troy, Dillon, uh, and, and eventually some others, have to um, grow some crops and grow them quickly, so they find a family who are in financial trouble. And uh, Troy and Dylan head down there to help plant some crops with the help of their super scouts and some other people from the Galactica. Um, but of course, there may be some trouble from a, a, a jerk local farmer who controls the local water and is a jerk. Listen to this. Bum, bum. Space croppers! The Space croppers! Space croppers! The Space croppers! Space crappers, yeah. The, oh, uh, we got Mr. Bly with us here. Uh, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing well so far. And, uh, you know, just uh, making sure that we have enough crop yield. I'm waiting for Space the farm crappers. report to pop on. Space crappers! I, I'm waiting for the farm report to come on to see how we've done with those intergalactical kind of agriculture. And all I can say is, you look at the pre-show and it's, Boomer returns. Yeah. Farmhands and the Red Super Scouts return. Hey. Not to mention, Canon guest star Data Elkar <laughs> is outraged. <laughs> this is Space Croppers. So yeah, this is the penultimate episode of the show, everyone. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is the one after we have we have repelled a um, uh, Cylon uh, attack, and um, but the Cylons have some plans up their sleeve because basically at this point in the show the the fleet is kind of sitting in space the cylons are nearby and the fleet is doing everything it's it it, it can to not let the cylons know where earth is so they're having to go through a lot of shenanigans to do that but the cylons come up with a smart plan of this to destroy the agricultural ship so we got to start some farming on earth and i'm going to ask you sir Mr. Blah, you space cropper. What did you think of space croppers? Well, why was there no uh, Farmer McDonald in this? You know, to go old McDonald. Uh, we couldn't have we couldn't have a quippy kind of individual in space for this one, or somebody for part of the galaxy that was going to be you know doing the pitchfork. You know, kind of like uh, Green Acres here. You know? Oh yeah. Going go, go, your little uh, neck of the woods there, but here's it. But uh, here, all right, we have an episode that. Uh, there's not going to be much from this, but just to say mm. this was kind of like what we like to call on an episode. Okay, we know our regular path that we go on to, and we include a little bit of that, but uh-huh. we decide to go another path. We have a point on Earth. 
and we want to kind of, you know, have something to say about culture, both agra and human nature in this one here. Uh, we basically have like your old fashioned rivalry of, you know, oh, we've got the top stuff and, you know, we're going to show these little people that can't grow anything just what we can do. You know, mm -hmm. they, they had something that's going to be going down and we're going to take it over. But, oh, wait, outsiders come in and guess what's going to be happening after that? Lots, lots of improvement, lots of, oh, where do these people come from? You know, how dang it. Um, unfortunately, we only have one scene of Boomer. It almost makes it like Boomer's going to be returning, mm -hmm. and he's only in one scene. So for any of you Boomerites out there, or you Boomerites Boomerang, out there, sir, what a... <laughs> sorry to disappoint you, yeah. but we're only reduced to him and Adama and nothing further. He doesn't get into a ship. He doesn't get into a, mm -hmm. uh, anything of this there. Uh, I believe that we have a lot of yahoos in the, uh, the cockpits in this one here. Yes. First we 10 minutes of, or so, quite a few, yes. First 10 minutes, we, we kind of got everybody who did not get the part of Han Solo in Star Wars <laughs> because they couldn't properly do what ends up happening at some other latter part of the movie. They all so failed when they had to say, don't get cocky. Yeah, it's like audition tapes, and they, they took it for another thing. They wanted to go Star Wars with the, with the real R rating on that one. So. <laughs> but I, I guess, you know... I guess uh, the, like, they got the word, oh, we got to have more Cylons and more uh, kind of thing, because there's still a Cylon presence mm -hmm. in this, despite the fact that, you know, one in our last episode uh, took the, the dumpster dive, literally. Yes. Um, uh, we, they figure, oh, some more space uh, battles. And I always feel like Dr. Z is kind of like the uh, demographic checker of, we got to make sure kids are watching this show. Mm -hmm. So we got to have one of their own that I think they could actually relate to with long hair, some kind of an English uh, accent, uh -huh. or trying to sound intelligent. Basically, the the uh, the show's equivalent of number two on The Prisoner. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're switching, for, for Christ's sake, get on more than one or the other, mm -hmm. kind of like that. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, we have uh, the agriculture. The target is agricultural ships. There's a lot of uh, hooting and yahoos, and mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of because, like I said, you know, it's uh, well, well, we know we know that Boomer got promoted to Colonel, as if we read the screen. It doesn't really indicate it, you know. It's like, that's mm -hmm. one thing about mm -hmm. the show is that it's one of those ones where we assume the name, or somebody mentions it later on when we didn't know it in the first place, you know. Mm -hmm. And somehow between this episode and one that we'll discuss later. Um, we have that uh, going on where it's like, well, we have this person, but we don't have a name. And maybe mm -hmm. later on there's a big reveal or kind mm -hmm. of like a shock moment of some kind, you know. <laughs> so, that, And, of course, I, I always think that this was kind of like an open-door pilot with uh, Scarecrow conversations with Troy and Dylan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I think would have been a fascinating show. Uh -huh. You know, It's like every, every day it's like, so, uh, Scarecrow, what, do you, what seems to be the time? What, how do you think we're going to do with the battles in the galaxy today? See the response. Or maybe we just have, like, the words on there, mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, like a translator, but, you know, oh, they yeah. don't have somebody, like, verbalizing, mm -hmm. you know, a little telepathy because, you know, didn't Boxy have that kind of thing when he was young, I think? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think he had something. Yeah, yeah. A bit, a bit of second sight, a bit, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's... Uh, Yelling from the moving pickup uh, brought to you by uh, a flag cigar in the back. You know, the yes, distraction. Yep. I, I felt like, to me, this was kind of like if Galactica 1980 had to go as close as they could to Little House on the Prairie here. 
Yeah, yeah. Because you go like, you know, the farmer, oh, we're so suffering, we need that miracle. Don't we remember that episode where, you know, Charles Ingalls was looking for a miracle, mm-hmm. he went towards the big uh, the big stone and thunder and lightning, and all of a sudden, you know, something came along and said, wow, our crops are saved, and we have this <laughs> miracle to go on there. I think there's a little more inspiration for the late, great Michael Landon to be mm. becoming an angel for Highway to Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Neither one crossed paths in those shows, remember, so there was mm. no confusion somehow. Yeah, but um, but uh, they had, what was it, they, they had a, they were dealing with a guy named Stedman, no mm. relation to Oprah, mm. uh, but with a hat, and of course, as we told, the outraged uh, canon guest star, Dana Elkar, um, before he was on uh, MacGyver uh, was yeah. playing like the, the big man of the of the place, and oh, we got our big fields and our big things, and hey, you can tell us anything, but that one family, no, 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 mm. nothing grows on there. We're about to take it over and make it our own. Mm-hmm. But these guys have other plans. The Galacticans have other plans, so they use their little thing. We get to learn that the phasers happen to freeze grass somehow. Mm. Yeah, it's got a freeze. It's got a freeze option on there. I had no idea. Yeah, I thought it was just. Mm. A, is that like stunning the grass on that one? <laughs> and um, so we have that, and then they bring in their uh, the super scouts make their return. Yes. Fresh off their cameo from the baseball bunch, uh, mm-hmm. they 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 this, once again a lot of also high jumping, high yes. hopping. Yeah. They're on the twigs again. You know, it's, we just like you know, like another mix of a lot of former footage from the past. You know, mm-hmm. there a lot of incorporation. Yeah, they got. Tons of footage from the first season somehow yeah. that we gotta make use, you know. <laughs> but uh, and also you have along with the bunch of uh, the evil uh, 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 shareholders, we have uh, what's his name, uh, the mean and nasty Bill McKinney from uh, Deliverance. Mm. Uh, oh yes, yeah. We've seen in many movies, and uh, but he's kind of like the one of the adversaries. Like yeah, 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 yeah that's a that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> but tell us more, you know. Like he's mm. one of those on this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, they use a very intriguing name. There's a point where they start to notice that there's progress amongst this dead land becoming all flush and new, and basically somebody wants to take on the Burt Lancaster character of Rainmaker in this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. Uh, and the name was Hector Alonzo. My question oh. is, did some writer happen to know the actor, mm-hmm. and maybe they tried to get this guy and he wasn't available, so that way he could have sort of a namesake? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, I said, like, well, somebody knows Hector Elizondo, but they wanted to make this Alonso. <laughs> so yeah. They might well be related, you know. And it's, yeah, it most, and uh, what was it? Um, uh, there's a, and here's the thing is also, too, we get an early hinting of a horse whisper in this. Somehow mm, yeah, the Galactic right, gets yeah. get this fixing of a little brainwave signal that makes this wild horse that can't be ridden. Mm. He can ride! Yeah. He can ride! And of course it comes up and says, well, you know, nobody can ever ride that horse. How can that person go? It's that moment where he knows everything, he sees everything, but everybody's like, ah, uh, Stedman, I think if I were you, I just, that's nice that you have those visions, but you can kind of go alongside. Yes. That won't be necessary. We already have a reporter from parts of the season. Mm-hmm. Robert, Robert Douglas pops up, pops up again to show that there's press representation, briefly, mm-hmm. and a pad. You know? yes. and, <laughs> and it's basically, you know, the Galactic that's come to save the day and their situation for agricultural good. Mm. Without, and what kills me is there's no farm report in this one. Why is there no farm report yeah. for everybody? That would have been such a kick. Do that like would've... a Howard K. Smith thing. Also, too, here's the thing. They're like, well, they have no water. I said, okay. Once I heard the no water, I'm thinking like, 
maybe this might not be one for the Galacticans. You might want to talk to, I don't know, the visitors. <laughs> because they're, you know what their main uh, plot was to come over to our planet? Exactly. They yes. got plenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, John will I... help you along with Diana. And maybe Mike Donovan <laughs> will cover that one on that one. I mean, that's another show. Uh-huh. The, uh, I... It's 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 um it's it's I like the way the episode starts off for the first like ten minutes or so. It's all in space. It's all the Galactica and the Cylons causing trouble. And there's this rather lengthy sequence where Troy and Dylan sneak off the Galactica and return to Earth. I thought, how often do they do that? I I was led to believe that they were. I was led to believe that they were on Earth the whole time. But apparently, they come back to the they sneak back to the Galactica hang out and then sneak back but they leave those kids there who do they leave the kids with who are the are they i mean i know the reporters there but wouldn't they leave the kids with someone from the galactica that's just surprising the cave with a guardian that we've not yeah. seen yes um and uh it's uh it's it's yeah i i in the end i i i like the episode when it started off and it was you know, oh, this guy's got control of the water and he controls everything. I just thought, didn't I say a few weeks ago that I didn't want to watch any more episodes of television like this? Luckily, mm. this has fun with it because you you can either, you, you can sort of, um, geez, I kind of said this sort of a little bit, but in a different way about the previous episode. You can watch it one of two ways. You can watch it as like the rich white guy. Um, being very unpleasant to the Hispanic family who wants to run their farm and just being kind of a gross guy with his gross farm people mistreating this this family, or or you can look at it as being like an actual time where Troy and Dylan have something that an actual something with a a ticking clock on it. Like mm. unlike, like the last episode had, we got to catch the silence, but no one was in a hurry. And the previous times, it's like, you know, we're going to stop and we're going to play baseball for a couple of days. <laughs> this one has an actual, like, we need to get there. We need to plant. We need, and, and it's the thing is, the thing I like about it is that it isn't something where it's like, okay, we need to plant and we need to take some time and we need to cultivate. No, no, no. They plant in the middle of the night and by like eight in the morning, they have a full crop. And they're Advanced ready to technology. go. Advanced yes, ex- technology. exactly. So, so there's there's something about it that there's an actual sort of like we need to grow food quickly, and we need a safe place to do it, and we need to get seeds that we could take back to Galactica. And so there's an actual feeling when Troy and Dylan are doing stuff in this one of it's 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 not like. You know, it's not like soup. It's not like we're watching a Fast and Furious movie or something. But it's it's just like there is a sense of urgency to it, where they're like, okay, let's go look at the let's go look at the water. Okay, let's get these seeds. Okay, he burnt the seeds. Let's go Cigar. make him. Yeah, he, he, he. Let's go make him pay for the seeds and bring us more seeds. Oh, there's a problem. You want us to ride this horse? Okay. Good. We rode Satan. Now, yeah, and there's just there's just the there's just the sense of throughout the episode that. They they win and they help the family win simply by not taking any baloney from a guy who people let swing his baloney around a lot apparently. A second and, rate J.R. Ewing, yes. Yes, exa- exactly. I mean, and there's even there's even a storyline near the uh, when George Kennedy buys the ranch next to South Fork near the end of the run of Dallas that involves um, some water rights. Now that was ten years after this episode aired. So but, somebody watched this and whatever. Yeah. Also, too, you want to talk about water rights? I say, 
all right, we'll throw one in Chinatown. I took oh, yes. part of the Chinatown plot and kind of threw yes. it at the Battlestar Galactica, you know, this mm-hmm. one. And I will call it that because for those of you who have the DVDs, most of these episodes happen to have a Battlestar Galactica title card. Title, yes. Mm-hmm. With, with computer letters. Most likely because they probably this was probably part of the syndication run yes. of when they put Battlestar Galactica in reruns right there. Mm-hmm. So presumably... This was included, and they had to put the title card. Now, whether or not that's a syndicated uh, copy, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, but Because exactly. the other question I have in this one is, towards the end, there's a credit that even I was trying to look for. Maybe you saw it, maybe I didn't, and maybe you picked up on it more than I did, but I saw somebody credited as the creature. And he I saw wasn't that, too. So, and he wasn't yes. crediting insurance. Yes, Dennis Haysbert, not his first time in the Larson universe. He was on an episode, I believe, the second season of, uh, of Buck Rogers. Okay. All right. A young yes. Dennis Haysbert. I saw that, too. And I wondered, what the heck was – did I miss – what the heck was the creature? Yeah, I'm wondering – and I did I, – I mean, just – just I will say this: Looking at the episode that's on the Blu-ray, I'd like to think these these are the full episodes. But this episode on the Blu-ray is forty-seven and a half minutes, and most of them are closer to fifty. So I'm wondering if there is a slight trim or so something. On we this. don't but know if there's a deleted the creature. deleted creature, you know. Somehow, yeah. you know, it's, and we don't but, know what kind. Of, I, I have to say this also too. Speaking of, when we're talking about uh, primetime soaps. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, one of these days I'm going to explore those primetime soaps. One of these days, you know, that'd be great exploration. But mm-hmm. uh, somebody from Falcon Crest shows up in this episode, mm-hmm. and it's Anna Alicia pops mm-hmm. in there, and she certainly has a thing for Barry Van Dyke in this episode. Yes, she does. She does. And it's pretty yeah. sweet to see that too. You know, it I mean, is. It is. And she's just about to go on to Halloween too, mm-hmm. which we know she also happens to be in. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and remember, this is an episode that's fit for any of every American. Yes. They're really specific on this one. Speaking of European cuts, I wonder how they took that over there, you know, with yeah. that question. Yeah, yeah. The, so so I, I think the thing I like about this episode in the end is that at the ending of it, when they leave and they leave a group of um, their people, the Galacticans, I guess, their their race, they're on the farm to do farm stuff, and, the, and like, the scouts are there and stuff. There's a real feeling when they leave of th- that they accomplished something. Oh, Whereas yes. the the rest of the series has not had that at all, and so there's a real feeling here like they've we're on this farm, they're being left alone. As long as the family gets what they need and can pay for their farm, they're they're going to let us make a crop every 24 hours or something like that. You know, that's going to destroy they, the soil. But as long as they don't ask for ID. Yes, exactly. As long as no one gets asked for ID, as long as there are no like W nines or anything, that's going to be yeah. like you know the kryptonite uh, the, for Galacticans. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, not but... the ID, not the ID. They said <laughs> oh, this right no. over the end there. It's like, oh, he doesn't have an ID. Oh, I have one. I have a pad. Yes, you know the reporter comes at the same thing. Oh, that won't be necessary to check the rest of them over here. It's like, but but you know that they were part of this. Like, yeah, it's that big like you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah. don't. You it's, saw a spaceman, you know. I, All right, just have a change of medication, go back to sleep. Yeah, there there is a real feeling of the of the the peop, the rest of the people in like the Farm Growers Association that they're sick to death of Stedman, and they were just waiting for something yeah. to sort of like knock his get, break through his armor or knock it, you know, put a crack in his shell, so they could just say. Uh, yeah, um, and is it, is it one of the guys say something like you know I I say Stedman that you were exhausted from working, but I know that you don't do anything. 
Yeah, oh, thank which you. I was well, which is basically, it's nice to have an element of truth in there. I just wanted that one moment where everybody was happy, and then all of a sudden, breaking through the ground, Michael Landon comes out of nowhere and just says, oh, yes. I'm just a dumb farmer! <laughs> I, I, what I was hoping would happen is as Stedman went back to his car, all of a sudden, the creature would come out from the woods yeah, and kill him. Yeah. It might have attacked Michael Landon at the end there. So Tear him apart. It's, it's, I, I, I think, I, 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 in the end, I like the episode because I like the, the sort of relative swiftness of it with Troy and Dylan just really, like, ignoring all the shenanigans and doing what they needed to do. I mean, like, I love the fact that they call in the scouts. Like, this is the perfect thing to call in the scouts for. Don't I don't want to see them playing baseball and playing great one yeah, minute or, and not playing great. This is perfect. Call them in because they can help. Now, that scene where they're all leaping around and singing that song, I, I could have done without that. I If well, I was Stedman, I would have passed that. Well, you know, they wanted, they wanted to fit in for their Grammy vote. You know, yes. that's <laughs> But also, too, I said what was good about that, too, is that they finally show that the Galacticans are, yes, doers. They are yeah. doers. They get the job done. They so, do it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's because when you get to the end of it, there's a real feeling when Troy and Dylan leave of something actually happened, and it's such a, it's it's so nice <laughs> to actually see like why do they send Troy and Dylan here? They seem to just kind of you know they 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 you know they showed up kind of late to stop the Cylons in the previous episode. They can't stop that one guy who keeps changing his face and traveling through time. But in this they're one, good. they actually show up and the Nazi they, uniform. Yes, yes exactly. They, they show up. And, and they, they instigate the plan, and they do everything they need to, and they leave everyone happy on this farm. And and, and it it's it's like you get to the end of it, it's like, that's all it took. It didn't take <laughs> a ton of episodes. It didn't take a big three-parter. It didn't take running all over New York City. Just a simple episode with the two alien guys. They, they don't save the day per se, but they right. just they accomplish something. That's all and we good, wanted. And good editing. And not only yes. that, what it should you know, I, I just wish they could have had these two guys looking at each other and said, our work is done. Somebody else saying, like, you know, but, but you didn't do anything. And, of course, they <laughs> reply with, didn't I? <laughs> Did, didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't I? <laughs> yes, this is fair credits. Yes. <laughs> so, overall, I, and I like, too, the fact that the bad guy, as it were, is caught out simply by the fact that he saw our lead characters just being themselves. Mm. And they just, I, I, I like the fact that the, it, it wasn't something where, like, they, he, he saw it. He said, they're aliens. And everyone said, okay, sure, we're going to leave you alone. We're <laughs> going to take Mr. Stead. We're going to put a cold compress on his head. And just yeah, sure. Yeah, and, yeah, sure. And, and, and I kind of like that because, um, uh, it was, I I didn't sort of expect that because so much of the story, so much of the show is about don't reveal it, don't reveal it, and then in this one they accidentally reveal it to the in quotes bad guy, and that saves their butts, and that that's how they win. And yeah, I, I and kind it, of like there was a cleverness to it, and a and a and a feeling of thank goodness they did something <laughs> that made the episode. I think kind of like I thought. I don't know what direction the show is going with this. They can't do this, like, you know, in every episode. But I, I like the thought that they can return to that farm if they want. Maybe there could be a little more flirting. I, I like the I like the thought that they've established their first proper outpost on Earth. And a future. And a future. And a, and a future. And there is a future now for it. And, uh, you know, when we see... You know, when we know, though, that this is the penultimate episode, you watch the next episode, you kind of think, okay, well, this was... 
the only episode where they really did this, but that's, you know, that's another. And and oddly enough, one of the few episodes in Galactic, of Galactic 1980 not written by Glenn A. Larson at all. And, you know, here's the other, the other thing that comes out of it, too, is they there was projected that if they were going to do more episodes for this season or a future season, they were going to have the Dana Elkar character come back and speak about the evils of dancing. <laughs> I, I would have been there for that. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. And then they would have had Hong Kong Fooey and some Hanna-Barbera And Scooby, kind of like, <laughs> you know, like, and you have, like, all the nightmares, like, no, 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 I see, I they're saw, dancing around me. Oh, they're no. dancing. I saw Hong Kong Fooey and Scooby-Doo dancing. Oh, no. You forgot you, you didn't get enough rush to get there, Stedman? Okay, good enough. All right, let's. Oh, but it's true. It's true. Somebody got to believe me. Look at, look at to me. Come on. I know a guy named MacGyver. Anyways, anyway. <laughs> I, I would have liked, and then, and then I'll stop because I don't. I don't think I really have much more about this. I think that's kind of all, all, all I had was by. But I would have loved it if they showed up on the farm in their white tuxedos from the previous oh, episode. Mis- misunderstanding, and been Wait, like, yes, are we in the wrong no, timeline? Is this not? Am I? Is this not what one wears on a farm? Oh, excuse me for a moment. <laughs> Here's the wrong key. Uh, so, uh, do you have anything else on this one? That's it, you know. I, I like I said, you know, it was it was it's a good departure from what they usually mm-hmm. do, and it, it didn't feel like the normal. Okay, we're going through this one again. Let's see. I mean, it had a little bit of a uh, Mr. Majestic touch to it, I think. Yeah. Even though we're not dealing with melons, and it, but the <laughs> only thing I criticize about this episode is you put up those cornfields. Where the hell are the apes? Anyway, so that's all I got to say on that. <laughs> and there are there are actually like I was going to say there are some funny moments in this episode, oh, like sure. with the you don't do it, and the moment where um, uh, well, Mister Stedman, do you have ID? Well, me have ID. Everyone knows me. I don't carry around ID. <laughs> and then it cuts to the the scouts, and one of them says, "I don't know you," and then another says, "I don't want to know you." <laughs> who, who doesn't know this guy? Raise your hand. <laughs> all in favor? <laughs> so it was. It's it's an interesting episode because when it started off, actually, like I said, for the first ten minutes, it's all in space, and then it kind of, and then I thought, is this the way it's going to be? Where maybe it cuts from them in the ships with an actual like, like, okay, this happened, and we need to accomplish this in this episode. Send Troy and Dylan, and then Troy and Dylan. That might get repetitive after a bit, and of course, this was the only one they did this with, so I I couldn't even begin to say what they were going to do, but uh, overall. I I I I I think what what I thought it was going to be when it started, it became more fun than oh, sure. I thought it was going to be. Mm. And in the end, I was like, oh, thank goodness, we accomplished something. Oh, that it's like when you watch the if you watch if, if you ever start the X Files from the beginning, the first few episodes of the X Files end with Mulder and Scully being like having nothing, mm. and it's just like that we've seen stuff and it's all been taken away. And so you get a few episodes in and you think, is there going to be an episode where they accomplish something? And then they get the one with Tombs squeezing into the air vents and things like that. And they catch him in the end. And you're like, oh, thank goodness. I don't think I could have watched the show where every single episode ended like Kolchak. Where Mm. we're like, everyone's like, Kolchak, what were you doing? There was a werewolf. Sure there was. But what? So, but it does share some. This episode shares something with the X Files. It pretty much puts out there that the truth is out there. There you go. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, I guess. So, um, any anything else on this one? No, I think it's just um. Cool. Basically, I gotta sum this up as basically, it's it, with their help, 
They've gone from impossible cultivating odds to Hickory Hideout music growing montage. Yes, and when you see the the group of Galacticans all dressed up like hayseeds and stuff, you're like, mm. now that's going to be a fun farm. Mm. And so I, I guess, yeah, that's that's the penultimate one, everyone. Space croppers. Space croppers! So, uh, so, so, Mr. Bly, sir, where, where, what are you up to? What's going on? Where can we find you online to find out what you're up to and what's going uh, on, you space man, cropper? Man, a lot's been going on. Movie worlds and uh, kind of like uh, a lot of different worlds. Some projects uh, currently on uh, – some on pause, some uh, moving forward. Uh, nothing I could talk about just yet, but – if you want to find out a little more or learn my path or uh, get in touch with me or see some of the fun stuff I've been dealing with uh, within time and press, present, and future, you can find me on X. I don't know why. <laughs> I like Twitter. I don't know what it is. I had ideas for keeping the Twitter name there, but, you know, some just don't want to listen. They want to go. They want to be like third from last, if that's the case in that case. <laughs> X. Instagram, Letterbox, you can find me on there at Captain Bly 76 and you can find me on Facebook, which you might get a little more uh, than expected with a lot of fun and a lot of randomosity for all the kids and the all ages to enjoy. And you can find me on www.facebook.com slash Captain Bly, which is C-A-P-T-A-N-B-L-I-G-H spelled out. Excellent. Thank you, as always, and everyone, uh, next episode is the last episode of our Galactica journey. We went all the way through Battlestar Galactica, and now we've got one more Galactica 1988, 1988, 1988, featuring Woo! an old friend. Woo! Featuring an Good old job. friend. <laughs> so uh, hang on here, everyone. Uh, tune in next time for that the last episode of Galactica 1980, and tune in right now for the next episode of, I, I think it's Monster Squad, and it's, this episode is The Tickler. All right, everybody, the tickler, episode three of Monster the Monster Squad or Monster Squad, uh, September twenty fifth, nineteen seventy six. This one is written by Charles Isaacs and is directed by Wes. Kenny, and in this one, uh, Ivor Francis, who's a who's an actor who you you might I think if you saw his face, you kind of know his face. He's got kind kind of a sad sack, like like if if Droopy the dog, sort of was a middle aged gentleman, white guy, uh, kind of he has that sort of face. He um, well let, let me give you just the pun like he plays the tickler, who is a guy who uh, looks like a clown, but he has a heart of evil. He never laughs. And he pulls off all sorts of, of schemes and shenanigans in order to try to um, uh, laugh. And he's got two um, big henchmen named Twitter and Snicker. Yes, I know. And uh, and then the this basically is the tale of revenge because he has recently come out of jail where the Monster Squad put him, and now there he's going to get his revenge on Walt and the Squad through the Feather Machine, which is a giant machine that straps people down and then tickles them with feathers and um i'm sure he's got more to it than that but and he's hoping in the end maybe just doing that to the monster squad will finally get him to laugh so that's the episode like i said it's ivor francis uh now uh he, he pops up on a lot of stuff i know him best for the the wonderfully entertaining and um 
I do love that the, that the show has no. I'm just this little side thing because they use the Monster Squad van, and it's the same two shots. It's 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 um. Well, actually, I think there are two angles on the on the van leaving the garage, um, and that really flimsy garage door, <laughs> and um, and then a shot of them driving down just the street at night. I love it's always at night whenever they go out. I guess that makes sense, but then sometimes I think it's supposed to be the day too, because that means I mean that implies the walls there in the middle of the night all the time, right? I don't know, um, but uh, but I like that. Yeah, that's really the only sort of on location footage in the whole show. And and this this one just basically it's it's the it's the wax museum set, it's the uh, entrance to the Tickler's hideout, which is a really weird room. Um, it's got it's got like um, two like Egyptian black cats like, uh, like guarding the door. It's got a giant like swan. There's a like a some sort. It's not a painting. It's a something or other of like a. Um, uh, uh, phoenix and there are like giant like snowflakes hanging from the ceiling and there's a disco ball and there's a mardi gras mask you know those big grotesque sort of caricature type mask there's a um bendy um uh sort of um uh mirror carnival mirror there's a there's a carnival mirror and uh, but it, but it's re- it's a really weird room because it's just kind of like an intro it's it's an, an intro room it's just kind of like you walk in the room and there's a big sign that says to Tickler's Hideout. And then as you approach that, they open a trap door mechanism and you go down this slide into a cage and then you're in Tickler's Hideout, which is from the from the slide, it looks like it's probably a couple stories underneath wherever it is they are. Of course I don't know why I'm going so in depth into let me talk about Ivar Francis some more. I'm sorry, there are about five or six things going on here. And um I do I do like when um uh Frank goes to uh uh jump in the trap door because he wasn't standing on it Bruce and uh Drac were and he rushes up and he um instead of just going into the trap door he kind of jumps up in the air a bit and bumps the bumps his head on the um disco ball he's tall he's tall and um yeah but Ivor Francis he's in the uh he's in the fun um on VHS under several different names uh anthology film made around 1980 called um House of the Dead, or House, yeah, House of the Dead, House of Dead, House of the Dead, also known as Alien Terror, I think. It's it's a it's an anthology about a guy on some sort of, um, it's about a guy who's at some sort of a convention. I think he's in New Orleans, and he's got a, a lady he goes to visit. A lady, uh, I guess, a, a lady of the night he goes to sort of visit there, but then he gets lost on his way back to the hotel and winds up uh, caught in a, a rainstorm. And um, he ends up getting taken into uh, for just uh, to sit quiet, sit out the sit out the storm into a um, a funeral home. And Ivor Francis is the funeral home director. And while they're sitting there, he he shows them several um, coffins and tells them the story of how the people died. It's a pretty good anthology. It's it's um if you, if you can get past the opening theme song, which is like um sort of like seventies soft rock ballad at its absolute worst kind of thing uh if you can what do you get not even rock i'm um, just ballad like a 70s ballad just uh, just it's 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 i say that only because the first time i ever sat down to watch it i couldn't make it past that it takes about 10 minutes or so to get to the anthology portion it's not like say like the full version of screams of winter's night where it takes like a half an hour but it, it takes it takes a little while to get there and i would say once the anthology once the stories begin the movie picks up incredibly but the um but the sort of framing and setup 
feels like it goes on for a very long time. But apart from that, it's, it's very good. And Ivor Francis makes a good funeral director. I think he's also like a, a toy company executive in an episode of The Magician. And he pops up throughout uh, the 70s and early 80s. You see him and stuff. But here, yeah, he plays the tickler. And he's lots of fun as the tickler. And he's got these goofy uh, two henchmen and... I, I like this episode much more than the last episode. I think it's a lot more fun. It's uh it's it's um it's interesting because it implies that you know Monster Squad have been up to more than what we've seen because this is the second time they're meeting up with the tickler who wants his revenge on them. And I do like the tickler's uh, hideout. It's just a big studio space and they've hung like these like I don't know if they're curtains or whatever they are, different colored from the ceiling, and there's a giant slide, and there's a big um, pink and white barred um, prison cell that the monsters are in. I forget what they call Is it like they're using milk of magnesium or something like that to make the, the bars, and they use library paste to, to get it to stick so Frank, Frank can't break through it, and when Drac tries to go flyways a bat, the tickler jams his radar, and so he ends up running into walls a lot so they can't get out. But eventually they're able to contact Walt, and Walt is able to come on down there, and then, you know, all sorts of shenanigans break break out. But overall it's kind of it's it's i think it's a quite a fun episode i i would say like of of the three so far this is like i quite enjoy queen bee um but it does it's it's one of those where it feels like it's kind of much longer than it is and uh mr mephisto has its moments but i it's not a favorite uh this is this is i think the first one that i think is really darn good um yeah ivor francis is a very good villain his two henchmen are very goofy with like they have like giant um hands on top of their heads like you know to tickle people and they look i don't know if they look rude or not but they sure look strange and um the t- the feather machine is great you can see it in the opening credits and um it's just uh it's I, it's kind of lame to say, but it's just it's just a fun episode. I mean, um, the, you know, the jokes are what the jokes are. That, that's one of the things with the episodes. You kind of have to deal with the fact that mo- most of the jokes are pretty not good. It's sort of just the uh, the verve, the fact that it's three monsters, this this evil, non-smiling clown running all around, feather machines, pink and pink and white um, barred prison cells, um, and. Uh, I just mix mix with all of that. It's just it's it's just it it moves along pretty nicely. I mean, it's not it's not going to break any records, you know, in um for a, for lightning pacing. But overall, it's it's a it's a it's a fun episode. And I like the fact that it is a revenge episode, and they do it is about yes, yeah, someone specifically going after the Monster Squad, and it's it's fun too because Tickler's a pretty good villain. So you know that kind of like. Um, uh, the, uh, not that the Queen Bee and, and Mr. Mephisto weren't good villains, but it's like, he, you know, they've made... So, you know, I'd, if there was a second season, this, the Tickler would have probably returned, right? To try to get his revenge maybe again. You know, and because at the end of this, you know, it's implied that he... he they get him laughing because they get him caught in the feather machine. He starts laughing and he says he's going to turn over a new leaf and um, the cops are going to, you know, he's going to get arrested. I like the concept maybe that... um, uh, The concept that... He gets arrested. He goes in prison. By the time he leaves prison, he's unhappy again, and so he goes for revenge against them again. I, I would like that if, if like, if the show had gone on for like five or six uh, series, it would never have gone on for five or six series. But if it had, if it had gone on for five or six series, I like the thought that the tickler may have just been a villain who just kept appearing every time to exact his revenge because they keep catching him. But we never get to see. Maybe like in the in the last step season, we get to see um. Uh, 
like a flashback episode to how they first met him and caught him. I'm going to get my revenge. Sure you will. Don't you worry. When I get out of prison, I'll get my revenge. And, you know, then we look back on the history of the show and there are like five or six episodes of him trying to get revenge. That would be music. Anyway, um, boy, these Snicker and Twitter are very goofy looking. When you see them, you'll think... These guys are goofy looking. And it is funny to see a guy just, this big guy with this this, this goofy hand on his head, um, like fake um, freckles, uh, bright red lips, like clown lips, and just with a big red sweatshirt that says, Twitter. Sure, why not? Let's see what else is. I do like I do like the scene um, when uh, Walt is at the crime computer by himself and he, he figures out where, where the guys are, so he's going to go after them. And he um, and he has a moment where he looks at the camera and says, "They say dogs are man's best friend, but they never met monsters." And then he takes a screwdriver and pops it in his mouth like it's a lollipop. Stops and then takes it out of his mouth. And then Fred Grady has a great run up those curved steps, and he he does a really good um, vaulting up the steps with the first uh, for his first step. But then when he sort of rounds the corner, he kind of I don't know if it's accidental or not, but he kind of slips a bit, drops, and then kind of leaps out of frame so it's kind of a fun kind of a fun run and I also like that that um, Walt shows up with a large book and the book has some sort of exploding smoke bomb thing in it that allows him to get to the uh, tickle of the feather machine controls this is a really that weird that room that and I have no idea why that in it the, the black cats the mirror the hanging snowflakes the disco ball the swan the phoenix the the trap I have really no idea and I don't think they say, and the Mardi Gras mask guy who isn't quite on set with everyone else, I really don't fully understand what that is. I don't think it's set. That's just the place they go to is this this room, and there's a big sign that says to Tickler's hideout, and then the trap door opens. I don't understand that room at all, and I don't think I've ever actually f- properly looked at that room. And there's there's another interesting moment here where um, where Walt looks at the camera again and starts moving towards us, and you think he's walking right at us, and then the camera angle changes and he drops down the trapdoor, and it's, it's, he almost gets hit by the um, the dropping um, the gate that falls, which is which is fun. You know, you gotta have a good time. And um, I, I like the tickler when he gets Walt there. Oh look who's here now! And Walt Walt's got a couple tricks up his sleeve. Like I said, he has a smoke bomb which covers his tracks as he gets to the feather machine and is able to operate it. But the other thing he has is he has um, he has a laser that he uses to open the um, to break through the uh, bars on the, on the jail cell. And the great thing um, uh, the great thing and I'll have um, and I forget what is it Walt says. He says I got it right here. He says it's a laser. Yeah, uh, there it goes. It ha- he he picks up and he says, you know, it's some some sort of laser that he's going to use to break th- break through the the bars. He says it hasn't been invented yet, but I'm using it anyway. I like that, and that that's cool. And then you know, and then they run from him. And you th- you'd think that laser would be enough to sort of hold him up, but what they do is it's great. They go and they grab these giant bats, like inflatable bats. And you know, as I've said before, one of the things with the show is they can't really show violence, although they get slightly close to it in moments here they can't really show violence so they have them use and they actually have uh, the tickler makes a point of like they're using goofy inflatable bats that aren't going to hurt anyone and there's a lot of running around and and getting caught in the the feathers and laughing and hysterically and um and just just being goofy but this this one works better than the mr mephisto one which is just like two minutes of what on earth is going on uh this, this one makes more sense it has more of um uh, there's more more verve to it, like because you got to free the guys from the machine, and they're all tickled out, and the guys and they're getting hit with these these goofy baseball bats, and all this kind of thing is going on, 
And um, I like I like the fact they they do very specifically they do a shot where the tickler holds up his big inflatable bat and bends the bat right in front of camera to show that it's almost like kind of like okay you parents who wouldn't allow us to do any violence look at this there's the bat here's the bat it's bending it's not a real bat and um, and there's a lot of running around and um uh and Wolfie um uh gets a, gets a good one in on Twitter and Snicker where he he has them look up at the moon and then he grabs their noses and gives them a real tweak I, I, I kind of like the fact that you know the monsters are so um uh, oh it's the giggle goo isn't it that really causes trouble the tickler has a has a has a um uh, a table full of giggle goo and it's basically like um what is it the spray spray stuff you know spray string, silly string kind of stuff and that's how they get twitter and snicker they cover them in the spray stuff and then they they get the um the uh uh tickler to into the feathers and he starts laughing and he says he's going to turn like i said he turned over a new leaf and everything's going to be great and then the whole thing ends with um uh you know them being back in their their spaces and and uh frank makes a joke about something or other and everybody laughs and it freeze frames on you know everybody laughing which i guess is it is interesting because like how many things in the 70s and 80s ended with a joke i mean were those jokes ever funny was there ever a joke that was ever funny that everyone laughed at at the end of an episode when things freeze frame ever truly ever and the, and the thing here is this joke isn't funny either but with everyone laughing at it being an episode called the tickler about an evil man who never laughs uh the fact that they're laughing at such a bad joke it's it seems um they could be being a little bit meta, right? Like like holding up the, the fake bat in front of the camera and bending it to show, look, I'll hit people, but it's 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 a big fake bat. So that that uh that could be something it's 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 an interesting episode because like they don't try to hide the fact that the the set is basically uh, it looks like it could be drapes, like long drapes are just hanging from the ceiling and they've got these like um I don't. I don't quite know how to describe them. They're like they're like party things you hang up at parties. There's things that are almost like those big fans. You know, colorful. They're colorful circles, and they they they're they're when you buy them, they're like fans enclosed, and then you open them up, and they 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 stretch out into a circle, and then you you link them up, and then you you hang them up. You know what I mean, right? And it's just such a weird. So, I mean, because because part of it is like you can see some of it because he's meant to be the clown and the um. I like Tickler's control box, slow tickle. I can't quite see. Does it say fast tickle, or is it? I can't quite see what it says underneath the um, uh, the uh, the arrow. But I I just like the fact that they're just having fun with the sets. I mean, I don't think this set really makes any sense at all for um, for uh, what the tickler is, and especially that opening that set that they walked into. Why why on earth would they have thought there's nothing? I mean, apart from the funhouse mirror and maybe the Mardi Gras mask, none of the rest of that implies like clowns or, or anything like that. But overall, it's it's a fun episode, and it's it's one that it's it's um, uh, I I it's it's funny. I hesitate to say that the show's getting better because these third you know they would have been picked up for. 13 episodes they, they may have done a pilot I, th- I think like I can I can see they probably did do a pilot uh, but later on I think the pilot is it comes much later in the run here but they would have had that pilot and then they would have made 12 more and that would have been it it was probably just you know you know what uh, for like uh, maybe six months in their lives you know and they made these episodes and now they're done and and they're on their way and uh, so and so so like I said, so they're not really getting better because I just think like I don't think Queen Bee was the first episode. I think the first episode is going to air later on. So I think they're being all shown out of order. I, th- I think there's only one. I I think they show it in the Royal. There there is one coming up where 
I think it's yeah, it's the Ultra Witch, Julie Newmar, where she is causing trouble um, because she wants her boyfriend, the Wizard, freed. And then, like two or three episodes later, we see the Wizard. I think that's right. I think we see that right. Is that? Give me a second. Yeah, Ultra Witch is episode six, and then the Wizard is episode seven. So those two kind of. Oh, is that right? Seven. I'm eight and nine. I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, so that that's the only really sort of like continuity between the um the episodes is that and that, that's actually something you might even miss like because I don't think that the wizard mentions the ultra witch she just mentions him maybe um maybe she thinks they're a uh, boyfriend and girlfriend um I don't know you know it could it could be anything could be anything but anyway yeah that's uh, that's the tickler everyone I like it I think it's a good episode you know I think I mean uh, like, like I think I said at the beginning, I think the next the Ringmaster is the next episode, and that's a darn good one too. Um, but I think it could be one of those things with the first two episodes that if we go, we go, we get to the end of the thirteen, and then go right back to Queen Bee and Mister Mephisto and watch those again. And um, I think those would work better when we're more sort of grounded. I just, I just kind of think Mister Mephisto was sort of a weak episode where it has a very basic idea, and there's just not like Mister Mephisto is a is like like Queen Bee. You remember. Alice Gosa, you remember. The Tickler, Ivor Francis here, you remember. Mr. Mephisto, eh, there's not much to remember. He doesn't really do much. And, and his two dolls um, aren't, aren't much either. They got goofy wigs, and, and, you know, they're pretty. And that's about it. It's just, um, and I mean, when, when all I can remember of Mr. Mephisto is how awful that would be if they raised the property taxes by a thousand percent then you know possibly like like i said in the last when i was talking about it too you know that for something i'm reminded of that teen titans go episode where robin teaches everyone about buying investment rental investment property for a rental um uh so so yeah so i think the, the show is getting better not, not like i said not the queen bee was bad or mr mephisto was bad per se i just found mr mephisto a little little dull and Queen Bee's got a lot going on, but it never feels like it quite takes off. Maybe it would have been better later in the season, but, you know, when we knew the characters and we knew the formula of the show. Because I like the tickler here, because it does have the formula of the show, but it's also, you know, it's um, the bad guy's doing something, the gang goes to investigate, they get, some of them get captured, the rest of them show up, there's a big non-fight, and it ends. And that's the way it goes. And Mr. Mephisto just, um... Eh... I don't know. Just didn't uh, didn't do it for me. But the tickler I like. So that's the end of that, everyone. And um, uh, yeah, next up we got a brand new old show. And let's see see if you recognize this theme. Do you recognize that theme? You got it. Well, if you recognize it, you got it. If you didn't recognize it, you'll get it in about three seconds from now. Max Headroom, the American TV series. This is the first episode we're going to talk about right now. Blipverts, directed by Farhad Man, written by Joe Gannon and Steve Roberts. Original air date, March 31st, 1987. We've got the great Tim S., Turner joining us on the other side of this. Just real uh, quick blipverts takes place in the near future, 20 minutes into the future. And there's an investigative TV uh, reporter named uh, Carter, Edison Carter. And he finds out that there's a new brand of advertising used called blipverts, which convert 30 seconds commercials into three seconds. And um, 
they basically they have the uh, uh, the ability to um, I'll just I'll just read here to overload people's nervous systems, causing them to short circuit or an ex or to explode. And um, so so uh, Edison is trying to find out what's going on. He gets in a car accident where he almost dies. The head of the network uh, has um, their head sort of inventor, who's basically a teenage kid, um, scan Edison's brain and the scan uh, to try to find out what Edison knows about the Blippers. And the scan creates an AI being known as Max Headroom. And I'm just going to give you a bit of. A uh, little bit of uh, the Ellery Queen beat bump, and then uh, we'll head into Mr. Tim and myself discussing the episode. Bump, 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 The first episode of Max Headroom. We're talking the American version of Max Headroom, uh, aired in uh, early '87. Two seasons. I think there were 14 episodes total. Six in the first, eight in the second. And uh, we're not covering the, the TV movie uh, that aired. I think it was British TV movie. Uh, we're just starting right in with the show. We're starting right in with Blipverts because the American show does have the origin of Max Headroom in this episode. And I am going to introduce you to a, a good guy that we've had on the show before. A Mr. Tim S. Turner. Tim, how are you? Hey, hey, hey. Now, I, what, I, what, what I would like from you is first off... What, what? Where did you first? Do you remember where you first were when you heard about Max Headroom? Saw at Max Headroom? Did you have any thoughts on Max Headroom uh, before you give me your thoughts on Blipverts itself? Go, Mister Turner. Uh, yeah. Well, um, when I when when this first aired, I was living with my grandparents, and uh, I remember watching the first episode, the one we're going to talk about here, and. I was absolutely captivated by it. I loved it, and my grandfather despised it. Uh, Gosh. <laughs> he's like, this is stupid. Um, Tim, Tim Word, turn that off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, it wasn't football or baseball, so oh, sure. it was terrible. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> no, I, I, I loved it. It was something, uh, especially upon rewatch, you really realize, like, wow, this is really different than anything on TV. At the time, because when you look back at 80s shows, you know, a, a lot of kind of what pops into people's heads is like, um, you know, uh, that that uh, late uh, 80s lineup on ABC or something. Oh, like the Full ABC. House and yeah. Stuff like oh, that, oh, yeah, you know? that too. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I was thinking when I think of sitcoms, I always think of uh, your Cosby, Family Ties, different sure. kind of thing. But yeah, six, must see TV. Yeah. Yes. It's sitcoms in the second half of the decade and late night soaps in the first half basically. yeah and when you watch max headroom it's a combination of film and video mm -hmm. and so it, it really has a different look about it and I, you know regular television trying to uh trying to emulate kind of like a cross between mad max and blade runner mm -hmm. uh with i assume was probably a small budget um mm -hmm. But it works, you know. They managed to pull it off, and I, I, I think it's, it was definitely one of those uh, kind of like Twin Peaks, like a show, you know, kind of before its time. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. I would say probably, yeah, a good, a good at least five years before its time, maybe even more. I would think. Oh yeah. 
Uh, so what did you think? Oh, did you say uh, uh, do you, you all com- you combined everything there because you did like the episode? You said that when you fr- when, <laughs> what uh, like well, watching it right now without Granddad there. What did you think? <laughs> Uh, well, okay. First, I can off, pretend to be Granddad if you want. <laughs> Tim, shut yeah. up. I'm yeah. watching the show. I've, I've got my sports are on. Yeah, get out of my chair. I'm going to hit you with the newspaper. Um, <laughs> Tim, yeah. has my story started? Not yet, Grandma. <laughs> Come on. Oh, this was on against. Da- oh no, it was the second season. It was on against Dallas. Oh boy. Yeah, that that kind of sunk it. Killed this was it, yeah. on um, when this originally aired. It aired after Moonlighting. Oh. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's how I ended up watching it originally. It was because I I was a moonlighting fan, mm-hmm. and then I saw that, and it was just like, wow, what is happening? What? <laughs> um, but I here's the thing. One thing I was struck by uh, was it was racier than I remember. Mm. Um, I mean, first of all, it's got to have what it might, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but it might be the first time we've ever seen. Uh, a scene in a men's room with two guys at a urinal. Yes, going through all the business. Yeah, yeah and I'm like, wow, they're really showing them, like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even shaking it off. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that was strange. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, our hero, Edison Carter, meets Theora, uh, who's his new handler, um, she uh, he touches – he's got, like, a wound on his forehead – and she's like, how's your head? And he looks at her with this smug grin on his face and says, how's yours? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> now, I don't know if that's what they meant, but uh-huh. the, the look on both of their faces just really made it like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> mm. But yeah, I, you know, I think it was, um, Oh, and there's another part where he's running away from the Network 23 guards, and he hides around a corner, and there's a uh, – the building seems to contain a lot of Greek statues. And he looks at the statue, and it's a woman character, and he's got his hand on her boob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he looks at yeah, it like – Yeah, it's like he's oh, doing oh. a Benny Hill or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just like, wow, 1987, mm. huh? Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, I think that they were able to, uh, get a lot. I mean, obviously they crammed a lot of information in this episode because Mm -hmm. you've got the two stories, you've got the story of blipverts, which, you know, uh, are ads that have been condensed down to three seconds. So you can't turn the channel and it causes, um, uh, sedentary people to explode, which is great. Which is <laughs> yeah, great. that that scene when they show obviously they don't show anyone explode. This isn't like RoboCop where they would have done that, but right. like like this. But the, the the scene where they show the the blipvert itself just going crazy, and then this guy just sitting watching it, and he gets this stranger the look on his face. He's sort of stranger. You can't like what is he? And then it cuts to the executives, and they're all like, oh. Yeah, and you hear Yikes. like a boom. Yeah, you're like, did, and you're like, did, did, did what just I that I think what I thought think just happened just happened. And yes, it did. Yes, it did. Yeah. And then like the second part is of course the origin of Max Headroom, yes. and uh, you know because it's basically Network Twenty Three is trying to take out Edison before he reports that their ads for Zigzag are deadly, mm-hmm. and um, I think they do a great job on you know compressing that into fifty minutes. Yes. Um, and uh, there's so many uh, 
great uh, guest stars that are or mm. like or at least cameos in uh I mean you got Rick Dukeman in there. Yes. Uh, uh Ken Swoford. Yeah, it's always I mean, great to see Flanagan show yeah, up or something. Yeah. And he's sweating profusely. Yes. Um and uh Jer Burns uh, mm. before that uh Judd Hurst sitcom Dear John and oh, well, uh, yeah, I used to watch that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh they just throw in a bunch of these different mm-hmm. people and um I, I have to say, I love Charles Rocket. Yeah. Grossberg is such a great sleazy villain. Yes, yes. They always photograph him with this lighting from below mm. as he sits at his throne in the, the Network 23 it's, boardroom. Those are really nicely directed scenes, I think. Just the shot. Like, each person has their own individual shot. Most of them are from the side. You can tell, I think the more important they are, you see them face fo- forward. And yeah. then some just kind of see that that one guy with the glasses who's always who seems really sleazy. Yeah, and, he's uh, always got a smirk on his face. Yeah, and he's just like, so what that he exploded? We're making money, and you're like, you're well, you go home yeah. to a wife and kids, or yeah. just a pile ratings of slime or something. Yeah, ratings. Are rough. Uh, yeah, and um, and of course, you know, it's great to see George Coe, mm. um, you know, who was uh, on Archer for a long time until he <laughs> passed away. And uh, he was the voice of Woodhouse. Hmm. Um, and, but no, but the Grossberg, it was great because, I mean, in the history of the show, there's only, what, 14 episodes, I believe. Yes. Uh, Grossberg only appears in four episodes, which is a shame. Uh, he's, they, they already give him in this first one. He's got this facial tick that he does anytime, you know, he gets contradicted or something yes. doesn't go his way. He kind of juts out his chin and... Mm-hmm turns it like he's loosening his collar without touching it you know <laughs> and it's it's so great um it's... i i just i really think this was a wonderful show and it and honestly the fact that it got a second season at all it was a small surprise yeah yeah <laughs> yeah this is yeah uh, um yeah i quite i i uh, t- to be honest i mainly remember max headroom from like commercials and stuff i want to say yeah, I Coke, drink, yeah. I, okay yeah i want to say i drank a lot of some sort of soft drink because of him and, <laughs> and i here's here's the thing is i didn't remember watching this show when it originally aired until you mentioned that it was on after moonlighting because i used to watch moonlighting around 87 88 that's what it was kind of at its height right before before the um uh, will they won't they became they did and Sybil Shepherd's gone for half the episodes because she's pregnant and they're only making like ten or twelve episodes at, before it got really um, bogged down in production and all the troubles. I, the eighty seven was kind of the year when I was um, eighty six eighty seven was kind of the years when I was watching. Um, although I could be slightly off. Uh, who cares, Dan? I was still watching. Is what it was. <laughs> I, I, I think I could be a year behind there, but I might not. I, but um. But I, I know I was watching it, so so I, in in my mind, I don't remember continuing to watch after Moonlighting because I had a strange uh, towards hour-long TV shows when I was a kid. I watched <laughs> I watched only a few. I watched MacGyver for a season or two until he started. He he went from I I said this before on here until he went from like saving the world every episode to helping the kids down at the local, you know, boxing ring or so, you know, downtown. You know, I'm I'm going to go I'm going to go down on the mission downtown and help some kids, you know, hang out and just have a nice day. You know, when it when it became that, I was like, who's the audience for this show now? 
You know, uh, he, he was he was he was he was he he was doing all sorts of crazy stuff. He was going into nuclear reactors and saving people. He was saving the world. He was hijacking missiles. He was doing all this great stuff. And now, you know, we're putting on the big Christmas show for the kids downtown. Hey, yeah, it, it's uh, like he wandered into a like an uh, an hour gang episode. Yeah, he, yeah. Suddenly he's in someone <laughs> else's show, and you're like, what is, what happened to MacGyver? Um, but it was MacGyver moonlighting for a couple of seasons. I want to say it was like. I want to say it was like the 85, 86, 86, 87 seasons when I think I watched Moonlighting, uh, if that's correct. Um, I could be wrong, but um, uh, but but I, the thing is, yeah, in my mind, I don't remember watching Max Headroom, but in my heart, oh, there's a difference. <laughs> because I seem to remember watching Moonlighting and then watching at least a couple of these. There were only six in the, in this initial run, so there's there is a good chance that I just wasn't watching Moonlighting for those weeks. But because when I watched this, I recognized some of it, but I didn't recognize it at the same time. And obviously, I recognized the, the actors, um, and um, and they're all great. And who's your favorite? Do you have well, when you think? Well, I mean, Grossberg, honestly, I, is, is he, yeah. he's so he's so great in this. He's got that unctuous you know, uh, way about it. At, at anytime they show him sitting, especially like at, at, in his big throne at the table, uh, with the, the that backlighting, mm. you know, I mean, he just looks like, uh, if the emperor was a TV executive, uh, yes. and, but I will say, uh, you know, uh, at the time, I think, let me think it was 87. So I would have been 18. Uh, I was absolutely in love with Amanda Pays. Of course. Of, I yeah, mean, yeah. oh my God! Yeah, it's so funny because on a show where they seem to go out of their way to find the most unattractive actors, <laughs> yes. they put her in there, and yes. you're like, whoa! <laughs> Constantly like, whoa! Yeah, distract. And and there's, I think there's a point like in the next episode where she 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 has to abandon her post and she puts right. a guy down in there, and like Jeffrey Tambor, uh, his character Murray, is it Murray? I think Murray. Yeah, comes around the corner to speak to her, and just a look on his face, like, who the hell are you? You know, he's like, you're not Amanda Pays. I wanted to talk to her. <laughs> well, she's hanging out with the Flash again. Son of a bitch. Yeah, she was, she was off uh, like on another show. Um, yeah, so like Flash was my all-time favorite superhero as a kid. So uh, yeah, when they did the series yeah. and I saw her on, I was like, oh my god! Oh my god. Yes, and she's so she's good. Back. It's such a it's such a fun show. It's it's such a good show too. Yeah, that's one we need to cover on here. That yes. was only one season. I, I didn't even think serious. of that. Maybe next time. That'll be. We'll do that next time if you're up for that, Tim. I am. I have it. I have it too. It's a great. It's a great show. Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I kind of like. I, I guess, I guess, is it uh, Theora? Yes. Right. I, I, I do like her quite. But obviously, obviously, um, uh, um, um, Edison is great. Max is great. It's interesting with Max in this because he doesn't do a lot. He, well, he's he not in it much. He's not in it much, but but he kind of. It's, he's one of those. It's he's almost got like a Beetlejuice kind of presence where when he when Beetlejuice shows up in Beetlejuice, it kind of becomes something almost different than it was. Like he brings right. a different sort of energy to it, and when when he's on, like when Beetlejuice was on, you all it, it went from being a movie where you kind of felt like you kind of knew where it was going, and then whenever Beetlejuice shows up, you're like, who who knows what's happening now? 
who knows where we're going. Like it's, it all goes up in the air when Max shows up and starts speaking. You're like all the everything just went out the way, and and this is a world we don't know, right? So so it's like it's it's already a place we're sort of uncomfortable in. Twenty minutes into the future, and that's a great thing about it too. Saying saying that that tagline to it means that that's twenty minutes of the future from when you're watching it. So it's not it's not specifically like twenty minutes into the future from you know February of nineteen eighty seven. It's twenty minutes into the future. You know we're recording this on September eighth, twenty twenty three. It's it's about twelve thirty five p.m. So this is taking place <laughs> at one p.m. on this on this date. You know, so it's twenty minutes into the future from whenever you're watching it, which I like. Um, <laughs> but it's a yeah, it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a fun episode. I think it does a nice job of. I would have actually liked to see the blip. I I, don't, I doubt the blipverts come back because this isn't that kind of show and it didn't last that long. But I'd like to see more of the blipverts. It's for sort of a very intriguing thing that, and just well, the, way the the Bryce, yeah. the, the Bryce character when they say, "Well, can you stop people from exploding when they watch it?" And he goes, "Hey, I just built the bomb. You know, I don't drop it. You know, you guys take care of that." <laughs> yeah. Well, I I do think it's interesting that uh, for the rest of the series you do see Zigzag. As an advertiser, oh, yeah. with Network Twenty Three, he never really—they uh, never really go away. Hmm. Uh, but they always make them very. Uh, they're such a nebulous corporation. Mm-hmm. We don't know what they advert, uh, what, yes. what their product is. It all goes so fast, and it's just—it looks like a bunch of like, it's it's almost like the blipvert. I almost want to say like the it's it's something you might see today if you went on YouTube. Uh, a thing I've really got into the past few months is uh, analog horror on YouTube yeah. and the images of the blipverts and the guy sitting there with something disturbing about to happen is almost something you'd see in a modern day sort of analog horror piece on YouTube. Just these random images of like happy faces and guys with mustaches and you're watching it going, what am I watching? It's just going faster and faster and flashing and flashing. And you see this, this just this large man sitting watching it and just the look at his face change. And you're like, it's, it's, um, it's very, it's very 20 minutes into the future. <laughs> kind of thing so um but I, th- I think i think for being an episode at the end of the day which it, it does the classic sort of first episode thing where it has a bit of story but like the pilot of the x-files say you know where it has the thing about you know the the kids going missing in the small town and Mulder scully investigate and it tells that story okay it actually develops it like it in season eight. Oh, at the end of season seven, they return to the story, but, um, but it develops that story. Okay. But it also develops the mother and Scully thing. And that's the thing here. We get, we get bits of the culture. Uh, we get bits of the world and then we get the origin of Max and sort of the promise of Max to, you know, lays ahead of us. And it's, it's pretty cool. Well, one of the things I liked about the show too, is they never explain why the world looks like it does. Yes. Because you have rich, 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 you know, in their ivory towers, so to speak. And then on the ground level, it just looks like it's, utter desolation. Yes. It's, it's, it's one, yeah, it's one of those weird, th- it's, it's one of those, it, it reminded me of sort of the, um, the, uh, uh, there's the, um, an MST covered. It's the, uh, night, yeah. uh, the Bronx warriors, you know, get, oh, uh, I should have left the Bronx. Yeah. Um, because in that one, the, the 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 Bronx that they're in in that movie is like a post-apocalyptic nightmare. Right. But whenever they cut outside the Bronx, it's just regular, you know, New York City. 
You know, inside the Bronx, <laughs> inside the Bronx, it's like Escape from New York or Road Warrior. But you know, you you drive around the corner, going to Queens or something. It's regular. You know, it's studying a Woody Allen movie or something like that. You know, <laughs> and, you know, and Martin Scorsese's out in the street. You know, something. And it's just it's just so weird because you get the feeling with this because they don't they don't give you the full world. They just kind of show you these like. They're clearly people, regular people who live in apartments. That's what the guy who explodes is. He doesn't. And I, I like the fact that this. I want to say this was around the time the term couch potato was um, coined. Oh, he definitely has that look. Yeah. So, so it definitely is like I want to say like I first heard the term couch potato in like 1984, 85, something like that. it was like a mid 80s thing. Oh, you're a couch potato, and this guy's the perfect couch potato because now they've they've they've. You know, you have to have ads. You, every every couch potato knows that, but they've taken a thirty second ad, made it into three seconds, and it makes you explode. There you go. <laughs> and it's really, it's it's so intriguing. I mean, I will say, I don't know what sort of uh, camera Edison is using, but th- those things are tough. Because I think oh yeah, I, it gets banged around and it, it he hits people with it and everything. And I thought, wow, that must be. I mean, I guess that would make sense, right? Because the con- the concept being. Everyone, if, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, I mean, is that yeah? Edison goes in basically on his own with a camera yeah. on his shoulder into these sites and says, "I mean," and he's being led by um by a person, um, uh, Theora, and earlier on, um, Flanagan, s- s- basically <laughs> sitting at a monitor saying, "You know, okay, turn left, go through that door. Okay, there'll be two guards at the end of the hallway," and basically, um. You know, at the tip of my mind, I have a movie or something, or some TV show or something <laughs> that I'm thinking of that is this. Maybe I'll get it for the next time. That is basically this, where someone someone is doing something. Oh, it reminds me kind of like a, a part of like 24. Yeah. Uh, you know, where you you had you know, Chloe is always yes. like, you know, okay, mm-hmm. up ahead, there's there, there's a shaft that you can go down that and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But yeah, it's very much, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. But um, you know, <laughs> that, uh, I, I think that, that, that one of the things that that show had going for it so much was it really f- had that kind of, uh, you know, that in-person urgency with the first yes. person camera, mm-hmm. which, you know, obviously there was some clear MTV influences going on yes. from that time. And, and let's be honest, I mean, Matt Frewer has that, kind of face that really was perfect for Max Headroom mm-hmm. with that big lantern jaw. Yeah. You know, and so anything that they did prosthetic wise, uh, you know, it just enhanced it. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say, here's a question I have, I've got for you. Uh, Bryce Lynch mm-hmm. for three quarters of that episode, he's an utter villain. Yes. And then he does a total turn. Mm-hmm. And we're not really given much of an explanation for why. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I I just saw it as maybe just being like, um, just kind of he's still really kind of a kid, and he's just kind of and possibly sort of like, you know, he 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 does this job and he probably gets paid. I see no sign of parents or anything, so he gets paid a lot of money and he, he just he just does crazy stuff that he loves doing all day long. And it's just kind of a capricious kind of. You know, okay, I'm working for you. Eh, you're a little more fun, so I'm gonna go over here, kind of thing. So, so if it had been an adult, I, I would have been like, hmm. But as a kid, I, I could sort of see like the, um, 
uh, now I'm over. You, you never quite. He's he's going to go wherever he. Maybe he's sort of having kind of where he's most intrigued, kind of, because mm. that's k- kind of his his job is to uh, follow his imagination. So if he's if he's bored with talking to executives all day, he'll he'll talk to someone else and have a good time, even if it means like I don't understand how that. Ne- I mean, because th- this will come up in the next episode too, where. Um, the thing that gets stopped or doesn't go or whatever um, is like involved with the network. So it's like Edison and his people are, are deliberately going out, like sabotaging the network, but I guess that's okay. Right. As long as he gets the ratings, I guess it doesn't matter. But yeah. Yeah. With, with, with Bryce, I just think it was just like, because he's kind of younger and I bet he's probably been doing that since he was, I don't even, I, for, for years probably. So he probably has no, you know, is is any any sort of code morally or otherwise he have he's, he's probably got zilch so he's well just, yeah because he, he intentionally tries to murder yes uh uh edison uh during when he's escaping from the 13th floor mm. and you know and he just got this big grin on his face when he makes him smash his face into the max headroom barrier yes. And so I was kind of like, oh, what a little dick, you know. (laughs) Next thing you know, they're like consulting together and talking Mm -hmm. to Max. Like it's like, oh, yeah, I I tried to kill you, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I I think it's just sort of just because he he technically sort of kind of created Max more or less. So I think it's just kind of like as as long as it can fit his sort of. Where his imagination or where he kind of wants to go, he'll give it a try, even if it means shafting the bosses. <laughs> uh, well, and another interesting character turn is with uh, uh, Ben Cheviot. Like for the whole episode, he's kind of like the voice of reason of the board of twenty uh, mm-hmm. twenty-three. And then, like the last shot we get of him is now he's the head of the board. Yeah, but nobody else is in the boardroom. And he sits back in the chair as the camera pans back down the table, and he does, you know, like the the fingers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the the whatever you yeah. call it when you put your yeah, hands together. He just kind of looks yeah. like he's going like excellent, like you know, like mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Mr. Burns or something. And you're <laughs> mm-hmm. like, oh, is he gonna be bad now? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he's got yeah. all the power. Yeah, it's it's uh, the, yeah, they do a lot in the episode. I <laughs> I think they get most of it right. Um, but yeah, there is the occasional moment where you think, hmm, I'm not sure. I think part of it too is, is it, or for me, part of it is that, uh, I don't know if we'll ever fully learn how this world works. And so to have sort of character things like that, when you're already a little disorientated by the world is, is kind of a, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be staying. I'm not, I mean, I did like the fact that, um, what did I <laughs> wrote wrote down here? The one of the networks that they're up against is called Bimbo Viz. Yes. B I M B O V I Z. Yeah. And then there's another one. I think it's named. Is it Big Time or Big? Yeah, Big Time TV. Big time. Yeah, Big Time TV. <clears throat> Which I presume. Um, I I don't know. I thought 1987. I thought oh, Big Time. It's probably just like Peter Gabriel videos or something showing <laughs> over and over again. But um, yeah, this I think I think it's a pretty fun episode. And I, it certainly it certainly had I seen it, and I may have, it, it would have grabbed my attention, and, and I would have come back just to see just to see what they would do next because there really wasn't. I mean, and the great thing is like Moonlighting at its best was such an individual show of the time. There wasn't really anything quite like Moonlighting when it was 
firing on all cylinders. Right. So to have two shows like this that were very different from the others um, is, uh, is 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 cool. So so what else? Do you have anything else in this one? I, I, I'm scanning my notes. Well, you know, when the fact that, first of all, the fact that a network actually took this on yeah. uh, w- w- was amazing in the first place, mm-hmm. even if it was only for six episodes, because really it's such a subversive show. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the episode, and this happens with every episode, there's always a little, uh, you know, brief, like maybe 30 second to a minute long a uh, little monologue from Max, mm-hmm. and it's usually him totally slamming network television, yes, yeah. and um, uh, and advertisers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's actually one of them. He's just like, oh, you know, I I can't wait to see what original thought you come up with uh, this next uh, whatever <laughs> next ad. And I remember I was just watching that. I watched it this morning, and I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did they let that go? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was such an interesting uh, concept because it's really kind of a um, uh, a cross between man with a camera and, like, mm. to go way back to old radio, like yeah. Casey Crime Photographer. Oh, Casey Crime Photographer. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, mm-hmm. but mixed with, like, a Mad Max Blade Runner kind yes. of a, a mm-hmm. scenario. And, obviously, unions aren't very strong since there's no cameraman for Edison. He yes. hasn't married himself. Um, but I I think that if if this thing had gone on longer, it would have been interesting to see how they expanded the universe yes um of it because it really 14 episodes isn't even a full season now yeah um even though they stretched it over two um i just think it was just a wonderful show have you ever seen the british uh movie they did before this i i haven't i was going to watch it for this but then um i didn't I will watch it. I will watch it. I have it on VHS because oh. it came out on VHS when, uh, in, in America, and I mm-hmm. that was the only way you could see it. And I still have it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because it's basically the pilot is identical to it, just mm-hmm. with all British actors. The only consistency is Matt Frewer and Amanda Pays. Everybody oh. else is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, oh, and like Grossberg is is called Grossman. So I don't know why the change in that, yeah. but uh, uh, but still, uh, it was basically pretty much the same. I believe it's the same producers and everything, so the okay. look of it is that, absolutely yeah. identical. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that that feels right. That uh, people just went went mad for Max. <laughs> wow. The, uh, I, oh, um, oh, do you have do you have anything else? I had one more thing. No, go ahead. I was just going to bring up. I love the um, the place where they bring the bodies to. Oh yeah, the body bank. The body because it reminds because the the lady who runs it, I forget the actress's name, but uh, she yes. she's she's been in a ton of stuff. And that year she was in um, Citizens Oh Patrol, Police Academy Four. <laughs> she she plays the one who who um, she's one of the citizens on patrol who um, uh, takes a shine to Tackleberry because she loves guns and everything like Tack does. And, but she, and I think she also <laughs> appears in part six. I think as like a wealthy, um, I don't think it's the same character, like a wealthy woman who's running some charity thing that Jones is doing a security at. But it was nice to see her because, oh my gosh, it's the lady from Citizens on Patrol. Oh, fun. 
so, so but, but that was I'll stop talking now because I don't want to. I, I think if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's 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 one of those shows that was very much ahead of its time, and I think there are still moments of it. I mean, you could definitely tell it's 1980, it's the mid 80s, but but there are moments in it, some of the storytelling and some of the stuff in it that still feels, I think, still works very well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, so so Tim, if that's all we got on the Blipverts. Um, how you doing? Where can we find you online? What are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, well, uh, I host uh, the uh, wonderful podcast, Beauty of the Beast and the Bees, hey. with my partner, Kelly Hogaboom. Hey. And uh, currently, I believe next week, we're recording our new episode. We're going to be discussing uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, hmm. uh, The Last Voyage of the Demeter. People Under the Stairs, and the John Carpenter classic, Prince of Darkness. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so everyone, please check that out. They're, they're, they do a good show. Uh, so next up for this one, what is the next one? On the, oh, it's Ra- Rakers? I think it's Rakers. the next episode. Rakers. Yeah, this, well, this is the end of this episode, everyone. So I'm just I'm going to play a little of Mad Max theme right now, and we'll, we'll, be, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Here we go. Here we go.